All right. Uh, welcome. This week we have on our Manufacturing uh, Managing Remote podcast, we have Lane Kawaoka. He is a, an engineer by training, um, and now he's the owner of 5,000, I think, rental properties, you said, and uh, the owner of simplepassivecashflow.com. Welcome, Lane. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, you're, you're a little bit uh, different background, uh, but I think it fits a lot into our audience and what we what we talk about. Um, so maybe you could start with your your background, your engineering background, and then kind of how you got to your uh, where you're at right now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I kind of grew up in a family where we're all taught to be frugal, run on this linear path is what I call it. You know, for some reason, I was good at math and science when I was six or seven. So what did I become but an engineer? I don't know why the heck I wanted to do that. I Maybe because I Googled like what are the top salaries out of college without having to go to grad school or get a doctorate and it's engineering. Um, so I went to uh, went to the University of Washington to uh, try to get an engineering degree. Wasn't smart enough to get into chemi, wasn't smart enough to do computer uh, science and you know, UW is pretty competitive, wasn't even able to do a civil engineering or mechanical engineering or electrical. So I became an industrial engineer because <laughs> I was all about trying to find, you know, do things the most efficiently as possible as, as so I could expend the least amount of energy, you know, being sure. lazy. So I started to, uh, you know, I was never that guy who could design culvert or a wall. I, I don't know how to do any of those math problems. I, I was the guy running around brokering homework problems for my other um, cohorts and friends to get through the get through the classes. So I became a project manager. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> so you know, started to work there, um, and yeah, you know, you're just kind of following that traditional wealth building dogma of you know, get a good job, save a good chunk of it. Um, I was really cheap and frugal back then. Because um, that's how we were kind of brought up and just started to save up to buy a home to live in and invest in the four, max up the 401k. Two things I think that are not good financial advice out there, just a bunch of financial dogma. But um, bought that first house because I was on the road all the time uh, working at my job um, because we do construction projects all over the nation. Um, I decided to rent out that property and that's where I got the taste of this passive cash flow thing. And I was like, shoot, if I just did this a handful of more times, I'll be able to fire my boss with this stupid engineering job. <laughs> and so you did that, right? Well, you know, the stuff like, you know, I, I do real estate investing, but it's not like all that house flipping, wholesaling. Like that's all stuff when you're broke and you got all this time on your hands, right? But what do people do when they've got a decent paying job or a very good paying job and they're somewhat busy at their day job. And that day job is essentially the, the best way that they can trade time for money. Um, that was kind of my situation. So what do you do in that situation? Well, when your net worth is under a quarter million dollars, you buy rental properties. And for, as your net worth increases, you know, you kind of gravitate to different types of syndication, private placement investing, but you know, that's, that's how I started out. I just bought that first rental property in Seattle, bought another one 
And then I started to get more sophisticated and savvy as I started to see the writing on the walls that my days as an engineer were numbered. Um, and, you know, why real estate? I mean, it, it, with taxes that are, you know, it gives you cash flow, which income minus expenses. A lot of people buy properties based on like the fact that it's going, going to go up in price appreciation, which to me is gambling. I want to invest some cash flow because my goal at the time was to replace my income so I could quit my job. I can't, I can't eat appreciation, but I can eat cash flow and replace my salary there. So I focused on buying properties in not primary markets. So like we don't buy properties in California, Seattle, Hawaii, New York, Boston. The numbers don't work. And, you know, it's nice to talk to engineers because you guys like numbers. We look for this thing called the 1% rent to value ratio or greater. So, you know, it's a quick and dirty way to figure out for cash flowing. So you figure this out by taking the monthly rents divided by the purchase price. And that's the ratio, the one, you know, you're looking for that 1%. So a lot of places in California, you'd be lucky to find a place in the ghetto for 400 grand that rents for $2,000 a month. That's half a percent, not going to work. Uh, a lot of the places that I bought initially were like $100,000 or a little bit less that rented for $900,000 a month. So 1%, that's the magic. So, uh, so say that one more time. So 1%... Uh, is that like monthly revenue versus the yeah, purchase monthly price? rents divided by that purchase price? Gotcha. And you know, you can get the purchase price on Zillow, you know, it's not the best source out there, but it's it's a real simple way to doing it. I think sometimes they even have the rents on there, but you know, you can go on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace to kind of do your own comp analysis if you know if you don't have a property manager you're working with yet. Okay, interesting. Okay, so, um you kind of said, okay, I saw the writing on the wall as an engineer, because I can, I think a lot of people can relate to that just with the last year, year plus of upheaval, right? Of, of people, lives being changed by the pandemic. So what was it for you, I guess, that uh, kind of pushed you in this direction? Was it um, just kind of like uh, losing interest in your day job or, or, or something else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, as I coach, you know, people who are trying to leave the day job today, what I've kind of broken down is this triangle of happiness at your, your, your workplace. So, you know, there are three, three main things that when I kind of talk to people, I'm trying to break down what's the issue. So it's either they don't like their boss, they don't like their coworkers, right? It's not a fun place to work. And then the last, the third prong is, are they engaged in what they do? Right? Do they like what they're doing? Most engineers, you know, we, we work with, you know, types of things that you work with. You either work with people, data, or things. Engineers, they, you know, typically bad with people, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> so they yeah. keep us the hell away from people. But unfortunately, we don't get that enrichment, right? That feedback, right? Like a doc, a lot of my clients are doctors, right? They work with people on the front lines and then they're like, oh my goodness, doctor, thank you. You know, you took me out of this pain, you know, you fixed, you know, I'm going to live. They get that positive feedback. Engineers, we don't get any of that type of stuff, right? Right. <laughs> we right. get like at most from our like introverted engineering manager, good job, right? <laughs> like that's the most you're going <laughs> to yeah. get. So that, that makes that like being engaged in what you're doing really difficult. So for most of engineers, like now you're left with like 
you're clinging to you because you, you have a good boss and you like your coworkers. And I think, you know, most of us engineers, we get along with each other pretty well, but when we're with like-minded people. Um, yeah. So typically it's mostly the issue is with your boss, right? And I, I always think like you can thrive off of like two of the three hitting. Yep. But if you're a one out of three, you're, you're, you're unhappy. You're really unhappy. Um, so a lot of like what we do is, you know, like, we try and help people build passive portfolios so that they can still like, they may not hitting all three of these at their workplace, but at least they know in the back of their head that they're going to be able to tell the boss F you one of these days. Um, like, so I bought a rental um, pretty much like I was putting a lot of my money to these investments because I was really frugal and cheap. I was, you know, max out 401k kind of guy, just plowing all my money into rental properties. Um, my first job was with a private company, very conservative. It sucked. My bosses were jerks. A lot of them didn't have college de degrees. And the reason why they got up to those mid-level mid manager positions was because they were jerks. <laughs> so you can imagine what my, my life was like. And it probably was a good thing, right? Because it, it kind of it created that pressure in the rice cooker. For me to be like i gotta find something else this sucks yeah so that created that situation where i just bought more and more rentals and then after maybe like five six years of just accumulating rentals you know i had a thousand or two thousand dollars of rental income coming in every month and when my mindset started to shift like whenever my boss would give me a hard time i would kind of i would kind of be a bad employee in a sense because i kind of knew like hey i knew i had had i made more money at at the end of the day than this person and my boss right i was on the fast pass out of there so what as i started in 2015 i started in 2009 buying rentals 2015 six years later i had 11 rentals probably bringing in like maybe three thousand dollars passive cash flow a month which is nowhere near what anybody needs to survive right but at that point i was able to quit that private job and move more towards the public sector. Um, so it's a lot more crews, a little more easier. Yeah. For some people, you hardly do anything. Maybe that was kind of my case, you know, but it allowed me that the more time to focus on what really mattered, which was investing in real estate for myself. Right. As I got done the day job in, in, in a timely fashion, right. So I could focus on what really moved the needle for me. And then that was, a, a, what I was doing was I was kind of creating a lifestyle where it was, I mean, I enjoyed the people I worked with, you know, because it, it was less cutthroat too, a lot less, better quality of life. And I probably, you know, I think that's what I do today is like, I try and get people to get started so they can at least create that lifestyle. Not saying they're going to quit your day job, right? Some people, you might even like it for some strange reason. I don't understand <laughs> it, but, um, it, um, yeah, we also wanted to talk about like most of my clients are engineers. Yeah. Most people say, well, engineers are good with the numbers. And, you know, like, you know, we talked about the room percent um, rent to value ratio. I mean, it's not that freaking hard, right? You don't right. need a rocket science to do that. But for some strange reason, engineers are not like scared off by the numbers. And, you know, after it hits the one person rent to value ratio, that doesn't mean you just buy it right there, right? You, 
there's an analyzer, right? Just spreadsheet. If, you know, if people want to go and download it, they can go to my website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer, download it for free. Okay. Um, people are like probably like clanking on their keyboard yeah, yeah, right yeah. now, right? Ooh, a spreadsheet. That's like, a, you know, give a cookie a mouse type of thing. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, like it's not, but it's not that hard, right? You have income minus all these expenses, repairs, maintenance, vacancy. You have to be a property manager 10% because we're not, we don't do that. Right. right. I don't know how to do an eviction. I don't know how to fix stuff. We hire people to do that. We buy the right properties at cash flow to support those expenses. It's the key thing. So, yeah, like, I mean, but engineers, I think the real reason why they get into real estate investing so much after the fact that they're not afraid of the numbers is that I think engineers are the highest paid professionals out there. Yeah. No, they're low, well, well, they're the most professionals that pay the least. Yeah. Yeah. For a 40 year degree yeah. that get paid the least. I mean, I have a lot of doctors, lawyers, um, dentists, accountants, um, but not as plentiful as engineers because I think those people make a little bit more. And they're just beyond the cusp of they're able to drive the Mercedes, BMW in their 40s or 50s. Yeah. Their salaries rise. But as engineers, most of us, we peter out at 120 grand a year. And that's all she wrote. So right. 120 grand a year does not buy you jack in terms of a lifestyle. Um, so you got to look. There's that pressure, right? Yeah. Her- heroes aren't born with innate skills. They're born out of necessity. You look at every marble. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So um, there's a couple of things that uh, you know rang true to me. So first of all, you're talking about the 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 triangle, right? Of the you know uh, boss, uh, employees, the stuff you do. um, Because I've been there, and I I was thinking in the back of my head too. I was like, yeah, you could probably get by with like two out of three, you know. Yeah. If you only have one of those now it's, it's interesting because my path, because I've been there, I think, I think most engineers have been there at one point in their career, if they're not there right yeah. now, or you'll get there at some point. Yeah. Or they're going, are you going to get there? It's, it's bound to happen. Um, and for me, uh, a lot of it was focusing on my career and focusing on either a promotion or a job switch or, you know, you know, new company, whatever, but it's really interesting to think about it the other way, which was, which is like what you did, right? It was just passive income, uh, you know, get your, uh, get your income, you know, from other sources up so that you don't need, you don't have this need to sit in the pressure cooker, like you said, and uh, kind of deal with it and figure out your way, um, the traditional way, right? So um, interesting. And, and it's good. It's a good thing to bring up because, you know, especially now it's like, there's so much more freedom what you can do with your life and you got to think about what makes you happy right not just the money but you know what what is keep making you satisfied in life and for me you know you said I, I, maybe i'm a little crazy i like my job <laughs> but it allows me to do some of this other stuff you know like kind of what you said allows me to do some other enriching things on the side um you know five years ago no i was not in that spot i couldn't have done yeah. other things so um so let's talk a little bit, maybe a little bit more about just getting started. Cause you said, okay, what you did first, you bought a rental property. What, so maybe I'm sure you get this question a lot. Like if you're like me, I just have a single family home. I've been paying my mortgage for years, uh, but I want to get started. Right. What, you know, what, what would you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Well, unfortunately, you bought a house to live in, which is not a very good financial decision, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, you got to scrounge up maybe 20, 30 grand to go buy a $100,000 house that is that it's that 1% rent to value metric. Okay. Um, for those of you guys that live in, you know, Washington, California, Hawaii, New York, DC, you're not going to find anything. No bueno. You're not going to yeah. find anything local. Get over it. Stop wasting your time looking locally. Um, you know, you're going to have to go to these secondary tertiary markets like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, Jacksonville, Huntsville. Right? These are, and, and then at this point, you're probably like, oh my God, you mean I can't see it or touch it? Yes, that is correct. Right? So you're going to have to get people to help you. Uh, property managers, property inspectors, and brokers to help you do this from afar. And yes, you are not going to visit the property potentially ever. Right? Myself did that. It's kind of wild. Right? Stay with me, right? Like, you're buying property, you're buying commodities. They're not like, they're just, there's just a box where somebody rents it out. You know, the property manager takes care of all the repairs. They find the tenants. They sign the tenants up with the contracts, right? It's your job to just put the money in, buy already turnkey properties to, and then, you know, just put the wheels in motion, get all your service providers together. Um, If you're really that, you know, put off by this whole thing, there's even these things called like turnkey rentals out there. I got a full guide on this on my website. It's at bobassacash.com slash turnkey. Um, and then if your guys come through you, I'll give them the free remote investor e-course light. I'll say it's like eight hours of videos. But, um, you know, like some these guys, these house slippers, what they'll do is they'll buy a house, they'll repair it brand new, new flooring, new appliances, new paint job, new electrical, new roof. Sometimes they'll even put a tenant in there for you. So it's really like, rental property with training wheels wow. and that's how i started right that's why i bought my first few properties and then i started to work with a broker but i already had my property management teams in place and that property manager i think is the most important part of this whole thing for you this is the person who's going to really vet the the neighborhood the property um, well then i mean the property is more the property inspector making sure you're not buying a lemon or there's not deferred maintenance in it um but you know we're engineers this is not that hard for us. Right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And, and it, it, with a lot of things in life too, that I've noticed, um, it's just get started, you know, find a way to get started. And, uh, you know, like, I, I guess I didn't know there was something like that with the, uh, um, you know, where it was almost managed for you. Uh, you really just need to put the money down. Um, right. And, and this but, is like really early when I started to like, do this i was like looking how i was making money like four ways with cash flow the tenants paying down your mortgage for you so you're getting that equity build up there as opposed to in your house that's what sucks about that whole thing you're the one putting heart sweat and tears and yeah. paying down that mortgage yeah and the tax benefits the appreciation but when you add up all those four ways you're making money like i mean i was making like 20 to 30 percent plus my money people don't believe me i mean the engineers out there especially i do this little whiteboard exercise where i break down the math at simplepassivecashflow.com returns but i mean 
making 20, 30% plus a year of my money. And I'm looking at my 401k and like, supposedly you're making eight to 10%, but it's like a, it's not even, poster. yeah, I'm it's like, not even, yeah. I'm like WTF, right? Like who, who stole my money? And then this is where I realized like the whole system is engineered against us to keep us all working in all these garbage investments in the 401k where Wall Street just takes all their money and hidden fees and carried interests. And like, this is why we have to work for so freaking long. If everybody said or did what I say to do, just buy a handful of rentals, I mean, you'd be able to quit your day job. A lot of people like less than a decade. Yeah. So that was, and you, you touched on it right there. I, I was going to ask you about that. So you, you mentioned something about financial dogma. Um, you talked about it there, socking away your money in the 401k, paying off your mortgage and why that isn't necessarily the right thing to do with your, right. with your money. Can you explain right. that a little bit more? I mean, well, so, so part of it was like what you said there. Okay. So you get a market, you know, if, if you're doing 401k, it's five to 10% a year, maybe depending on your investments and, and how things go last year, you know, went down and then up. Uh, versus you're saying 20 to 30%. I mean, that's, you just yeah. show the, the numbers. The, the, like. key, <laughs> the, the key is like, you're investing off of like the retail market. It's kind of like, I just bought a stupid shirt from Saks Fifth because my credit card gives me $50 off Saks Fifth every year, but I spent 34 goddamn dollars on this V-neck t-shirt. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? Like you go to China and buy this for like $2, the same yeah. product. And it's like, that's what effectively what the retail investment market is, right? You, they take all the returns and hidden fees from you. So you can just do this on your own. You buy a simple rental property, you get all the spoils of war for yourself. I mean, it, it's just simple as that. You, you're investing in, when you're investing in retail investments, you're getting screwed over so hard. The key is to get a little bit off the beaten path, which requires some due diligence and, you know, using a brain. Um, but, but there's a minimum effective dose to this, right? Like if you just put in a little bit of effort, you can get so much more returns and accelerate your path to financial freedom so much quicker. But if you just want to do it the lazy way everybody else does, well, you're going to get what you're going to, everybody else gets. Yeah. Which is working for a long time and eventually retiring, but, yeah. um, you know, that's, it's a lot of hours and, and, uh, pressure you got to go through, uh, while you're doing that. So most people, so what they brainwashed us to do is like they tell us to put all your money in this Wall Street stuff, right? 401ks. The wealthy don't do 401ks. Yeah. Who does that? They're wealthy. But for some reason, the common man is told to do this stuff. And they call it the accumulation theory. You know, work for 40 to 60 years and accumulate a million or a couple million dollars, this pile of cash, accumulate this pile of cash. So you can one day retire. So once you've retired, you got this big pile of cash. You, you're going to eat at the way at that pile, right? What you want is cash flow, right? So you got to convert that to cash flow so you can eat it. If not, you'll just eat away at your pile and be left with nothing. So this is like the paradigm shift is like, well, why not begin with the end in mind, create those streams of passive cash flow today in diversified sources, right? As opposed to all just one big pile mini pensions is what I call them, is rental properties, right? So sure. they're all kicking off income. And what's cool about it is like right now, while you have a day job that puts food on the table and then some, you don't need to eat at these mini streams of income right now. 
use those mini streams of income to accelerate your buying more properties, right. which creates more mini streams of income. It's a beautiful thing. And then this is why, like, this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is a get rich surely thing that after a while, after five, 10 years, it's really heads up like a hockey stick exponentially grows from there. And which is how, you know, you know, you can, I've kind of become more of an accredited investor these days, investing in apartment complexes. I mean, it just, it, it, it gets a lot easier later on, but the beginning part is the hardest, just getting started for sure. Sure. Yeah. So I was going to ask, so then you, you kind of touched on it there, you know, you, you buy your first rental property, you start to um, save that cash flow, right? Because you don't necessarily need, you know, if you're an engineer or, you know, most of the audience, you don't, it's, it's extra money, right? So you got this, this uh, cash flow that you're generating and you would then use that, save it aside and then use that to buy your next rental property, right? Something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, most, most of these like typical turnkey properties, you're going to need 30 grand down payment and you want to have some money on the side just in case something happens, maybe like five, 10 grand as cash reserves. Sure. So, you know, you, you buy that property and then, you know, you're able to save another 30 grand next year. Maybe some of you guys save 60, 70 grand. So you can buy two properties a year, but because you bought that first property or a few properties in, in the beginning, you're not only saving 30 grand, but you're saving 35 grand. So that just puts you on the path to buy the next one so much quicker. Right. You know, after maybe a handful of years or buy two a year or three a year, um, you know, you certainly don't want to buy that many rentals. Like I bought 11, I went ham with these rentals and I bought 11 of these things and they are not quite scalable, but they're to me, what you should do when your net worth is under a quarter million, half a million dollars. Right. So sure. today, this is where I started to transition to being more of an accredited investor, um, you know, I got a, I paid to get into mastermind groups, get around other high net worth doctors, lawyers, engineers. And what I discovered was a lot of these guys will invest in larger apartment complexes through a method called real estate syndication. So they go in at a you know minimum investment of $50,000 and they go into dozens and dozens of deals ran by professional operators, better deals. Um, what's cool about these situations is you're a passive partner. So you're not a managing member. So you don't have that liability there. Um, you don't put any debt in your name. Today, um, we put together these things and I put all debt in my personal name so that none of the investors do any of that type of stuff. And then, um, you know, the, the projects have business plans, right? Because when the beginning, when I was buying properties, I was just buying a property and not doing anything to it, which is cool, right? It's still cash flows. But the larger deals are due to some kind of business plan. So what we'll normally do is we'll put in like four to six grand into every single unit, times 100, 300 units. We get great economies of scale. We hire contractors, um, do big contracts, work with professionals, and then we are able to bump the rents up incrementally. And this is why I like commercial real estate as opposed to residential real estate. Commercial real estate's based on the numbers, net operating income, or from business owners out there, kind of like a beta divided by a certain multiplier. Whereas in the residential world, it's all based off emotion. And us engineers hate emotion, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. numbers driven, right? So like this way, you know, when we're rehabbing units, increasing the rents, increasing the bottom line, we're able to create that, that forced appreciation value, right? We're not relying on market appreciation, which to me is dumb luck easy come easy go 
but for force appreciating the property by increasing the revenue. Okay, sure. And then you have the the uh, uh, the, the property price also, right? Is is appreciating too, right? Yeah, I don't. I mean, to me, that's icing on top of the cake. Sure. I don't. I don't look at that really one bit. Okay. Yes. Yes. But yes, real estate typically does appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing I was thinking about too, um, I'm not sure how much you and, can. And, and then going back to the whole, you're talking about like inflation too. I mean, yeah, this is the big paradigm shift, right? Like, yeah, man, we want, we want to load up on good debt, right? This is what the government does. They load up on good debt. They inflate the money supply. So now their debt isn't worth jack to what it was 30 years ago. Right. This is what all the pros does. I don't know why everybody has it all completely different. Oh, I don't want debt like, yeah, yeah, that's completely wrong. That's not what the wealthy do. If you want to be broke and pay off your debt, go ahead, because that just makes the people that get the game, you know, accelerate so much faster. And this is why the rich get richer and the poor just stay the poor, and the middle class just kind of die off and become poor. Yeah, that's funny, that because that's something that I've just recently realized is like you know if you think about the time value of money, and uh, and debt, right? So if you if you take a small, you know, very low percentage loan, and uh, you have something that's appreciating in value, and then you have the time value of money, right, which is going to slowly decrease over time with inflation, right? You're that's that's it, like the magic formula right there is, it, you know, you're you're beating the system that way. Yeah, so. here's your soundbite for the episode. Like sophisticated investors, they don't care about the interest rate and the amount of debt they have. That's what common man thinks about right mm -hmm. what's your interest rate what's your interest rate right or how much debt do you have right sophisticated investors don't care about that what they care about is two things cash flow and what is their net worth doing right the net worth is the score right that's how much money you're worth right if it's going up things are good but secondly you want to you want it to be going up but you want the oxygen to be able to survive through bad times and that's what cash flow is sure so, Interest rate and debt really don't, I mean, they're indicators, but they, they're not the key performance indicators. Sure. And that's a good uh, touching on the KPIs, right? We can all relate to that as engineers in some way, especially in manufacturing, because yeah. that's what we're looking at every day. Debt, <laughs> debt and interest rate is muda. It doesn't really matter. It's, but for some reason, we've all been brainwashed to believe that. Right. Yeah. So uh, really interesting stuff. So um, I was going to ask, uh, have you noticed, you know, with, there's a lot of talk about, you know, people moving, everyone's moving away from California or New York. And I think that's a little overblown um, as well as people moving out of uh, commercial real estate uh, because of remote or flexible work. Have you seen any of those trends yourself? Um, no, I mean, like, yeah, they, they did move out of the big cities, but I mean, as evident in my last monthly report that I do, I mean, they're already kind of bouncing right back to those areas. I mean, they're cool places to live. Who doesn't want to live in the city? Right. Um, right. But as far as like, you know, moving from like houses, I mean, the, the general, the, the global trend is people can't afford to live and buy a house to live in these days. Like it's. I mean, that's what the 2008 thing was all about, right? That whole debacle of George Bush was like, everybody should own houses. 
right? So everybody could be able to, he made it so everybody could qualify for home. So we all, we all know how that ended. Um, yeah. People just can't afford it um, these days. Um, we are living in a, uh, you know, the, the rich in America getting stronger and the majority of people in America are getting weaker, becoming a lower middle class. The middle class is shrinking and dying off. So to me, globally, like it's, most people are moving towards apartments to rent than single family homes or owning single family homes. Um, the America's population is growing, you know, immigrants, um, and it depends on who you're looking at, right? If you're looking at the white collar people, well, that's a very small percentage of our country. Yeah, maybe they're buying more houses, right? Because interest rates are low, but I have 5,000 units and most of them are lower or middle class. I mean, they are economically unable to move up to buy houses, put it right. that way. Right. Um, okay, so the last thing I was gonna maybe ask is is to touch on your move. So you recently you moved to Hawaii, right? And, and you already kind of talked about how you're not really uh, visiting your properties necessarily, especially the ones that are out of state. Um, was there any, uh, maybe just talk about your reasoning behind that and then um, just a little bit on how you manage remotely. Yeah, I mean, when I was living up in Seattle and I had those 11 rentals, I mean, I might as well have been on Mars, right? I mean, I can't feel that touch it. You, the best practices are building relationships with your property managers and um, that's, that's your extension. That's like if you're on a construction site it's your foreman those are assistant foreman right those are the guys that you reach out to get to your message out and get the project done um i think a lot of people these days like you may or may not see your boss or your subordinates ever right? it's all remote so you know best practices with even keeping people accountable with email right or you know, hey you know matt what, what what is your plan to get that thing fixed all right well give me a timeline right scope schedule budget it's simple stuff that I think as project managers, we think take for granted, but you know, it's not difficult for somebody who's like an accountant or computer programmer to kind of grasp on. It's really basic stuff. You just need a little bit of organization and understanding how to keep people accountable and work with people. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do with Circle View too, is, is uh, just more tools with uh, keeping people accountable uh, transparency across the organization, things like that. So, I, you know, I think that's just never going to go away. So, um, all, always those key characteristics. So, uh, Lane, thanks so much for uh, your your interview here. A lot of stuff to think about. Um, your site, simplepassivecashflow.com. I got that right. Yeah, yeah, and yep. then um, you know the website or the podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, Passive Real Estate Investing. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, I'm definitely, I'm going to go check it out right after this because you got me thinking about a lot of things. So uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Thanks. All right. I will stop recording.